This episode is brought to you by Allianz Travel Insurance. Are you planning two or more trips in the next 365 days? An all-trips annual travel insurance plan can protect all your adventures for less. Get a quote at AllianzTravelInsurance.com. because I am a roaring lion crying out righteousness. Welcome everybody to the Trust in the Lord Hour. I am your trusting in the Lord host, James David, trusting in the Lord Manning. Listen, uh, as you very well know, Proverbs chapter 3 has been the chapter that has gotten me and Atla Ministry and all the wonderful members of this congregation through some of the most tumultuous times uh, that my life has ever known. I, I mean, I don't know if you know what it's like to receive uh, at least ten death threats per day, and that could go on. For, that went on for like three or four years. Uh, to have uh, buckets of feces mailed to you by express mail. Uh, to have rocks thrown through the window of a sanctuary of a church in the middle of the night. Um, uh, to be hated and whispered about, even hated by even family members who decided to devote their, their love to a person by the name of Barack Hussein, the long-legged Magdaddy Obama. I don't know if you know what, what that's like. And because a person who's in public life such as mine, but to have all of Africa and Africans hate you because you've told the truth about Obama. I don't know if you have any idea what that is like, and you probably don't. 
uh, if you got 10 threats in one day of somebody who seriously and potentially could take your life should, should they get an opportunity to do so. Or to burn down your church in the middle of the night while you're sleeping in the building. You probably have no idea what that's like. I'm sure there are other people who have had other greater threats. And right now, if you look at what's going on in, with the war and the, the Sabbath day war with Gaza and Hamas and Israel. But Proverbs chapter 3 got me through that. And I want you to hear this because it is ever so important that you understand what got me and the wonderful congregation, the extraordinary congregation of the people called the Outlaw World Missionary Church, got us through 15 years of some of the most tumultuous death, life-threatening death threats of, 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 the, of those 15 years. And it's Proverbs chapter 3. So I don't want you to take this with a grain of salt. You need to understand it's extremely important. Because what I want to say now is that while we're, while we're under the auspices and the protective canopy of Proverbs chapter 3, we're also going to talk to you about getting you through the tribulation and getting you through the world war that is now uh, upon us like a ton of bricks coming out of the Middle East. Please listen to me. If you will, I, I say please not because I'm, I'm trying to be polite. That's not necessarily my cup of soup. That's not my style to be terribly polite. And not that I'm rude, but you get the idea. But please listen to me. That you, to try to represent or try to, if you will, understand what my life has been like. You step out on the street in Harlem, New York City. And everybody out there that's black hates your living guts. And 90% of the people out there that's white, now they're Japheth and Hamites, hates you as well. And wish your demise. Many of them thinking that we've got a, our first black president, here's this black preacher talking trash about him. Well, I want you to know that Proverbs protected me. That particular Teaching was a blanket and a canopy and a high wall of protection around me and the congregation for those years. I want to extend that now. We're in an even more dangerous period because we're in the tribulation. We are. And I want to explain to you what the devil has done about the tribulation teaching. But we're also in world war coming out of, we're in a holy war, the Sabbath day war. You'll notice that those people who report the news will not report it was on the Sabbath day that Hamas made this attack. They don't want to call it a holy war, but it is because they don't want to reference the tribulation, but we're in it. But here, here's what I want to do. I want to pull you up close, protect you with Proverbs chapter 3, and say to you this, that the devil having understanding the great prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew's gospel, chapter 24, verses 1 through 44, if you will. I guess that's where it could possibly end. Ran ahead and got a hold of perhaps the largest, most influential denomination in America called Southern Baptist and start feeding the preachers in that group uh, the lie about the rapture. It, 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 the, the, the devil's influence in the Southern Baptist Church, the largest denomination, the most influential power-holding religious organization in America, fed them a lie 
and the and then the preachers lied to the congregation. And the lie that was told was a lie called the pre-trib, associated with what they refer to as the rapture, of which they have convoluted First Thessalonians chapter four, verse sixteen and seventeen, as that Jesus will come and take them out of the earth before he actually enacts the tribulation. It's a, it's a lie. But the lie got even deeper with people like John Hagee, who uh, began to prophesy that Jesus was coming back four or five years ago. And the Bible says clearly not, no man or angel knows the date, but John Hagee said he knew. The lie just intensified. Now, the devil's purpose was this. At the time, the Southern Baptists held, if you will, great political sway and power back in the, in the 17th and 18th century when this lie began to be circulated by the devil called the pre-trib. It's a lie. And not only that, but it's a contradiction of the truth. And going back about 105, 6, 7, 10 years ago, coming out of the Southern Baptists. The Southern Baptists were great and very powerful, very influential, like the Anglicans and the, Puri- the so-called Puritan religion uh, and the, if you will, uh, Presbyterians in the North country of America. Out of the Southern Baptists also came what it, we refer to as both the Pentecostal and the Charismatic movement, but more specifically the charismatic movement. Now listen to me very carefully. I want to I want to teach you how to protect yourself. We're in the tribulation, we're in a holy war. First the Southern Baptists in the 17th century, uh, the devil infiltrated that mega organization with the pre-trib lie. And I'm going to explain that to you. As you know, over the past couple of days, I've been doing going in detail, showing you how they just contradict Jesus, that it's a flat-out, bald-faced, stupid lie that the Southern Baptist preachers will stand up in churches and talk about the pre-trib when Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verse 29, that immediately after the tribulation, he's coming. And yet they're saying he's coming before. I'm going to go to that. We've done that. What I want to do now is I want to take you today to a little different level to show you how the devil has used the Southern Baptist. And I'm not a hater of the Southern Baptist. I told you, I used to, whenever I heard Adrian Rogers, Charles Stanley, Page Patterson, Jerry Falwell Jr., Jerry Vines, Homer Lindsay, all that crowd, I used to be hanging out with them. And I didn't know them personally, but I, every conference they had across the, uh, the, the, the First Baptist Church of every major city in the South, I was there when I was a boy preacher. So I don't hate them. I'm just trying to tell you how the devil has used the Southern Baptists to spread perhaps some of the biggest lies, biggest contradictions of the word of God. But here's also what the Southern Baptists produced. The Southern Baptists produced what we refer to now uh, as the charismatic movement. People like Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagin. And guess who was perhaps the most prominent person coming out of the Southern Baptist movement? That, 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 that movement that lied on Jesus, that contradicts Jesus. Joel Osteen's father was named John Osteen. John Osteen founded one of the largest churches in Texas and in Houston in particular, but he was a Southern Baptist. He was a dyed-in-the-wool Southern Baptist. 
And so out of the Southern Baptists have come people like Kenneth Copeland. He's Southern Baptist. His roots are Southern Baptists. But they've gone from the lie of the pre-tribulation while the Southern, the charismatic preachers still promote the Southern, the, the, the pre-trib lie. They still promote it, but they move from Southern Baptist and the traditional evangelical lifestyle of Southern Baptist and move more into the, if you will, the, 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 the charismatic, if you must, type of a lifestyle. That, that's where they've all come from. And that's, if you, if you, if you look at all the, the big name, if you will, charismatic preachers, they're all, they all have their roots in the Southern Baptist Church is what I'm trying to say. So now we got the Southern Baptist, which has produced, we have the Southern Baptist, which has produced some of the biggest false prophets in the history of Christendom. I mean, we, the Southern Baptist, charismatic, and the Southern Baptist general, people like, I don't know, W.E. Criswell or Robert Jeffers, both from the First Baptist Church of Dallas, they're not necessarily false prophets, but they're contradictors of the word of Jesus. They don't pimp the gospel. And I know the word pimp is strong, but I got I to I gotta communicate. I don't want you to think that I'm soft peddling this. You need to hear this and be shocked by it. The people like Chris Well or the late Chris Well or Robert Jefferson, others within the, 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 the late Charles Stanley, the late Adrian Rogers, they weren't pimps. They didn't pimp the gospel. That is to say, to use it, to put Jesus out there as a pretty eye candy thing and then rake as much money in using the skirts of Jesus, lift up high. They didn't do that, but they did contradict Jesus. Every time they stood in the pulpit, they contradicted Jesus on two major issues. One, on the issue of the rapture or the, pre, or the pre-tribulation teaching, and the other was on the Sabbath day. Every time they went to the pulpit, they contradicted Jesus. I'm coming back to that. But what I want to say to you is that then came Kenneth Copeland and, of course, from John Osteen, Joel Osteen, and then you got Kenneth Hagen, Southern Baptist roots. And, I mean, a ton of these people came up out of the Southern Baptist tradition, and they became false prophets and pimps of the gospel. And, and then, the, of course, you got people like uh, T.D. Jakes and Creflo Dollar who all have associated themselves with the Southern Baptist pimps. Or the, so so I, what I am saying to you in, in terms of if you want to make a structure of what I'm teaching, number one is that the Southern Baptist has done more to serve Satan. Now, I know this is rough language. I know this is tough. I know this is difficult for you to deal with. But, I mean, I, can I, I read to you the other day what in, 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 in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, what Jesus said about the Pharisees, about the Sadducees, about the Herodians, and about the scribes of his day. He called them snakes. He called them hypocrites. He said they were blind leading the blind. He said they were hustlers. That's what Jesus said about the religious leaders of his day. So when I say to you that the Southern Baptist, that the Southern Baptist has done more to serve Satan. Now, I know that's rough. I know that's difficult. As I said before, I used to hang out with the Southern Baptists. I did, and I don't hate them. I don't hate them, and just because I speak the truth about someone or something doesn't mean that the truth is hate. 
Please understand that. Because many of you will probably be Southern Baptist or have roots in Southern Baptist or had your parents in Southern Baptist. And then to hear Pastor Manning, your loving pastor, tell you that the Southern Baptists have done more to serve Satan that, and they're not the only ones. Like you got the National Baptist Convention USA, you got the National Baptist Convention USA Incorporated, you got the African Methodist Episcopal Church, you got the African Methodist Zionist Church. I mean, you got you got the Church of God in Christ, you got the Apostolic Movement. They all are promoting Satan. Now I know that's tough to hear. Listen to me. If the Southern Baptist, National Baptist, American Baptist did one-tenth as much of promotion of Jesus and the word of God as they do promoting social ideas and promoting Satan and contradicting Jesus, there'd be no need for tribulation, case in point. Let's say all the Baptists, let's forget about the Presbyterian Episcopalians and the Catholics. Let's say every Baptist in America rose up and said, that we're not going that Paul did not contradict Jesus. Paul did not contradict Jesus about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is still Saturday. Paul did not contradict. There's been a convolution and a misunderstanding and a gross misinterpretation of Paul's writing to the Grecian world, to the people of, of Homer, to the people of Socrates, to the people of Plato. Paul's writings have been greatly and grossly misinterpreted. Paul did not contradict Jesus, and he, and he did not contradict Moses, and he did not change the Sabbath day to Sunday. Paul didn't do it. Paul didn't do it. The Sabbath day change didn't happen until the 4th century. Paul lived in the 1st century. The Sabbath day, churches didn't start worshiping on Sunday rather than the Sabbath until the 4th century century when Constantine cut a deal with the then Christians in the Grecian world of Homer, of Socrates, of Plato, of Aristotle, of Alexander the Great. Listen, Constantine made a deal with them and they said, okay, we'll worship on Sunday rather than Saturday. For the even 300 years after the writings of Paul, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ continued to worship on Saturday. Because that Paul did not contradict Jesus nor Moses. So if every Baptist, every Southern Baptist knew the word of God, had the Holy Ghost and said, we're going to worship on the day that God set forth in the modem of creation. We're going back to the Sabbath day. That would do more to stop the tribulation. That would do more for healing. That would do more to stop wars. That would do more for equality around the planet. If they just did that one thing, forget about talking about the tribulation or pre-tribulation or the rapture, but they won't do it. They won't do it. You won't do it, some of you. You won't, even though you know, you know doggone well that Paul did not contradict Jesus, no matter what you see right, written in Colossae or any other writing. You know that. You understand that clearly. And you also know, you also know as clear as anything that can be clear that the Sabbath, that the, and if, well, maybe you don't know this because you may not be astute historically on the early church, the Middle Ages church, if, if, if Paul had told the church he found, he found it at Philippi that the Sunday was the day to worship 
if Paul had told the church he founded at Colossae, at Corinth, at Galatia, if he had told those churches that Sunday was the day to worship and not Saturday, then they would have been worshiping on those days while he was yet with them. It took another 300 years before the church changed, and not because Paul changed to Sunday. It was Constantine, and the church made a deal. Even the Greek Orthodox Church that came out of the Grecian understanding, which is another powerhouse of a church, not as widely known as the Catholics, but the Grecian church is mainly a church established by Paul. We'll come to that in another teaching. But listen to me. Listen to Pastor Manning. That if, if the, just the Baptists, Southern National American Baptists, went back to the word of God and worship on the Sabbath day, they would do more to save humanity than all the things they've done over the past 500 years. They need to be clear. They need to be clear, but they're not going to do it. The devil has told them hook, line, and sinker. And then birthed out, as I said earlier, Kenneth Copeland or Roberts, one of the biggest Southern Baptists known until Joel Osteen, perhaps, or Kenneth Hagin, maybe. Or Roberts is Southern Baptist. Or Roberts, one of the biggest charismatic on television, healing people out of wheelchairs, is Southern Baptist. So the Southern Baptists have done more to serve Satan. And now you've got some of the biggest false prophets, liars, pimps of Jesus. And I know that language is strong. I don't mean to offend you. That's not Pastor Manning. That's me. That's not my intent to offend you or to anger you. That's not my intent. But I don't want to speak in such soft, you know, amenable, politically correct language that you don't understand just how draconian and how satanic what is going on in these churches is. All Roberts has started the charismatic movement of healing and miracles and Kenneth Hagin and now you got this Osteen boy and, and Kenneth Copeland all that Southern Baptist, they just come charismatic now. And, and, and then, of course, you got the following them, you got the Pentecostals, you got the Azusa Street group that mainly dealt with the Hamites coming out of Los Angeles going back 120 years or so ago. But it's all serving Satan. It's all false prophets. I told you. The critical thing that Jesus did in the opening remarks in his narrative about the tribulation was that watch out for false prophets. Don't let these people use my name and my blood to deceive you. Jesus said, many shall come in my name and will use my blood, but they will deceive you. They will deceive you, Jesus said. That's first out of his mouth when, he comes, when it comes to the narrative of the tribulation. So it's important that we understand, I don't hate Southern Baptists. You know I don't. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they do, they've done more to serve Satan than they have to do Jesus. I don't care how much evangelism they do. Jesus said this to the Pharisee. He said, you know what y'all go out there on Monday night and you knock on doors in Jacksonville or Houston you in the suburbs and you get people to come to church on Sunday. But say once you get them, you make them more a hypocrite 
and a, and a servant of Satan than you do me. It's right there in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. You know it's there. You know what Jesus said. And that's what the Southern Baptists have done. I'm telling you. They contradict Jesus. And they refuse to acknowledge. They contradict Jesus. And they preach consistently the lie that the apostle Paul contradicted Jesus and changed the Sunday, the Sabbath to the Sunday. It, it wouldn't make any sense for Paul to do that. But that's what they say. But it's a misinterpretation of their writings of the book of Colossians and the book of, if you will, of some of the other writings and letters that Paul wrote. So here, here's what I want to do. I want to take you now to Matthew's gospel, but I, I don't want to leave you. I, I'm not your, I don't hate the Southern Baptists. I don't. I don't hate them. I mean, I, I just don't. And, and I, but I want to tell you about the, and about the so-called black Baptists. They have become, they have become implements of Satan. I mean, listen to this. Listen to this. They have contradicted Jesus. Now, I wouldn't say that W.A. Criswell or Robert Jeffers or some of the others, or Charles Stanley, Adrian Rogers, were pimps. Now, I wouldn't call them that. They, now, there he is. You got that Benny Hinn boy. You got that Osteen boy. You got that T.D. Jakes boy. You got that Kenneth Copeland. You got that Kenneth Hagen boy. they pimps. Now, I know that language is strong, but I do not in any way. I'd rather you get angry with me for using strange, strong language. Please, let's spread the word. Spread the word. If I use the word damn or hell or pimps or whores or whorehouse, I would rather you get angry with me getting on a pedestal and saying a preacher ain't got no business using those words, though they're all in the Bible, including ass. I'd rather you get angry with me for using those words because you think I shouldn't, but they're in the Bible, and every one, of them, every one of those words have been spoken by Jesus or by Moses or one of the prophets. Those words are in the word of God. But I'd rather you get angry with me when you hear me use them than for me to try to use something nice and you go to hell because I didn't emphasize, I didn't make it absolutely, positively, unequivocally clear that they're pimping Jesus. And Paula White and Joyce Meyer are running a whorehouse. I'd rather, I'd rather you get angry with me and say, I ain't listening to her no more. Preacher ain't got no minute talking like that rather than I not use it and you end up in hell. Let's be clear. Let's be clear about what we can be clear about. All right, so Mr. Engineer, let's go to uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 29. Everybody who's ever been anywhere near Southern Baptist, even if you don't go to Southern Baptist Church, have seen the movie Left Behind, Tim LaHaye. That was one of the biggest line production of movie lies I've ever seen. Well, I didn't go see it because I knew it was a lie. Why would I do that? But the whole idea is that they, they've developed a term which is unbiblical called a rapture. Rapture is not a word of the Bible. And they developed it out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 17. I'll get to that in a moment as well. But the Southern Baptist lock, stock, and barrel, and all those great, if you will, well-noted preachers out of the Southern Baptist, including Charles Stanley, the late Charles Stanley, believed in the rapture. That is to say, a pre-tribulation doctrine 
that Jesus was going to come and take them out of the earth before he dropped the hammer called the tribulation. After the tribulation, before, before the tribulation, Jesus is going to take all the Christians out of the world. Then the tribulation comes. And you should, they say, we're going to see Jesus in the midair in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. We shall be all caught up in the air to meet him. And then, now that's a misinterpretation, like the Sabbath misinterpretation of Colossae. It's a misinterpretation. It is a, it is a, it is a satanic reading of 1 Thessalonians. And really what the Apostle Paul was doing, he was speaking metaphorically. He wasn't really speaking of a time in which all a reality such as the trees shall clap their hands and the mountains shall break forth and sing. And he's speaking metaphorically. But using the, the, the 29th verse or the 30th verse of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Mr. Engineer, take me there, please. So every Southern Baptist and all the charismatics and many of the other denominations of the Hamites, mainly the apostolics, they're mainly Hamites, that's black people, National Baptists, African Methodists, Episcopal, all that. None of them believe that, that, that there's going to be a, trip, a pre-tribulation that God's going to take them out of the earth and then he's going to drop the hammer on everybody else. They say that Jesus is coming before the tribulation. That's what they say. They say Jesus is coming before the tribulation. But here's what Jesus said himself. I, I, I'm going to listen to Jesus. I am not listening to Oral Roberts. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said immediately after the tribulation, after, not before, immediately after the tribulation, all you Southern Baptists, all you Charismatics, all you Pentecostals, all you Apostolics, Jesus said after the tribulation, not before. And you would wonder why on earth if a man is a preacher, he must have had some casual relationship with reading the Bible and would have stumbled on this verse at some point in time and would have corrected his ways, would have stopped going up into the pulpit and telling people on Sunday morning that Jesus is coming back before the tribulation. You would think that if he had a casual relationship, maybe it wasn't a Bible student reading the Bible constantly, that a casual relationship with the word of God, maybe a Sunday school student would have told him. The Bible says after the tribulation, Mr. Preacher, not before, immediately after. Now, this is Jesus talking, not Oral Roberts, not Tim LaHaye, not Left Behind, and not that other guy out there as well. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and all the stars shall fall from heaven. And the powers of heaven shall be shaken. In other words, Jesus is clearing the, he's clearing the court. He's clearing the benches. He's moving all light. He's removing all light so that when he appears in the sky, everybody going to see him. Ain't going to be no mistake about it. You can, be in, you can be in the Eskimo, Alaska, the North Pole, or you can be down under in Sydney, Australia. He's clearing all the light, getting all everything so he won't be mistaken in light. When Jesus shows up, he's the light of the world. He clears all that out. But Mr. Preacher and, 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 and Mr. and Mrs. Hypocrite that go to that church on Sunday and listen to the preacher tell you that Jesus is coming back before the tribulation. Did you ever ask Jesus? He got, he gave it to you himself. And then verse 30, then, and then shall appear the sign of the son of man. That's Jesus in heaven. 
And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming after the tribulation, coming after the tribulation, coming after the tribulation, Mr. Southern Baptist, Mr. Sunday Worshipper. So I said to you, leave that there, coming in clouds and having great power. So I said to you that these denominations have done more to serve Satan and very and and have spent their time contradicting Jesus and have built thousand member churches and constantly building new buildings on a lie. They have done more to serve Satan. If, if, listen, if Southern Baptist, Charismatic, African Mexican, Episcopal, Black Baptist, White Baptist, all the rest of them, if they just simply did two things. One, stop this line on, on, and contradicting Jesus. Jesus says it's coming back after the tribulation, not before. So there is no pre-trib. Stop that and then stop the Sunday line. It would save, it would save the world. The devil ain't crazy. Thank you, Mr. Engineer. So I'm the Lord. We're in the tribulation. I want to try to teach you how to protect yourself. You wake up in hell and you realize how did this happen? Well, the devil, he, he listen, he's doing everything he can to feed these lies into the hearts and souls of people. So we're now in the tribulation. We got that war going on in the Middle East, what I'm referring to as the Sabbath day war. That's what's happening. That's what's going on. And Mr. Engineer, bring up 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse uh, 16 and 17. I want to show the people something. And so we got these two basic things. That's a whole lot of other stuff. But with these two basic things that the churches, that the preachers just get up and lie every day and twice on Sunday, the same lie. And they tell it out of the mouth of the devil. Now, I know the language I'm using and the statements, the charges that I'm leveling against these major denominations. I know that these are difficult to deal with and probably making a lot of you angry. But the devil also raised up some of the biggest liars and pimps that the world has ever seen. Of, I mean, you know, they, they, they moved the Vatican at one point in time from, from Rome to, oh, what's the name of that place in France? I forget his name right now. And because the popes and the cardinals, which was a takeoff of the 70 elders, they were living lavishly, prostitutes, homosexuality in France. When they moved the papal, when they moved the Vatican to Rome, they, these popes would have homosexual relationship with men, and uh, eating and, and 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 taking money through the indulgence process. It was one heck of a mess. It was in that, in the history of that, that caused Martin Luther to stand up and say, "We got to stop this." But I'll tell you something. <laughs> them popes, Avignon, yeah, Avignon, France, look it up. The, the popes of Avignon and the popes of Rome, by the way, living fat, homosexual activity, eating like kings and queens, that they, listen, they would have to get up early in the morning to live as lavishly as Kenneth Copeland 
<laughs> or Joel Osteen or Rod Parsley or Benny Hinn or Paula White or uh, Joyce Meyer, they'd have to get up early in the morning to live as lavish. These people live lavish lives. I mean, they, they, they probably take baths in champagne. This Joyce Meyer and Paula White and Joel Osteen, <laughs> you talking about living high on the hog. But this ain't the first time. That's the problem also. A lot of these people just preaching. Somebody says, better than plowing a mule. I think I'll announce I've been called to preach. Don't know the first thing about church history. But there was a time when, there was a time when the Pope, and the Pope still, they're still in Rome. They still, they got their own city, you know. <laughs> yeah, they do. But man, those Popes, and they, the world was rising up at the stench that the Catholic Church and those Popes, homosexuals, all that money and finally Martin Luther put an end to it in the 16th century. But <laughs> we need a Martin Luther now to point a finger at Kenneth Copeland at Creflo Dollar and T.D. Jakes at, at TBN. Who's that? That I forget the name of this, this, the two men, the, the man and wife that ran TBN sitting on a throne dressed in gold and gowns and I mean, <laughs> sickening. TBN and Daystar and Word Network, it's a mess. The devil is having a great time. He only bothered the Catholic Church no more. He got these Southern Baptist charismatic and these apostolics. It's a, it, the, the, the power of the devil. So here, the things that I'm saying, many of you don't want to even believe. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay. Uh, you, you'll discover that hell is a real place. Everybody's not going to heaven. And why is it? I'm, there are people that listen to me that have been listening to me for several years, going to get up and go to church on Sunday and going to think they're in the presence of the Lord. When you do that, when you do that, you contradict God. You say, well, Pastor Ben, I heard you say they used to worship on Sunday. Well, I became the pastor of this church. This church had a Sunday mode of worship. I didn't found it. I didn't establish it. But as soon as I got my hands on the horns of this church, I turned it into a Sabbath worship church. Yes, I did. I certainly did. And the same thing can happen to you. You're listening to me right now, and you know that there ain't no way that the Apostle Paul would have bald-faced contra- stood in Jesus' face and contradicted him, stood in Moses' face and contradicted Moses on the Sabbath. You know Paul didn't do that. You know he didn't. But yet you're going to go there on Sunday anyway. You're going to go there because of the Roman emperor named Constantine told you to go to church on Sunday. And that's how you're going to do it. Even though you know what I'm saying right now, you're still going to get up and go. There's a, there's a great place in hell for you. There's a great seat in hell for you. Because you know. It isn't that somehow or another you're going to get to heaven, get to, go to hell and find out. Well, nobody ever told me that the Sabbath day was God's day. Nobody ever told me. I thought Sunday, I thought I could just do it any day I want. Listen, you can worship on any day you want. Last night I was in this chair worshiping on open rewards prayer. It was a Wednesday night. But the Sabbath day is God's day. You can worship on Monday, too. You can go to church on Wednesday if you like, Thursday, too. But the Sabbath day is the holy day. That's the one day you don't go to church. That's the one day you don't go. I mean, you can 
these Christians that one day that they go nowhere near the church. That one, if you look, just look at calamity around the world, especially in America, the one day that they go nowhere near the house of God is on Saturday. They'll go on Monday. <laughs> They'll even have a revival on Wednesday, but they don't go on Saturday. So you know. So when you get to hell and you're going to go, you're definitely going to go and you're going to suffer now. <laughs> When you get to hell, you say, well, nobody told me. No, you were told. That preacher up there in Harlem told you. And the other thing is this business about doctrine. I ain't got time to deal with that today. All this Baptist, Methodist. And, but here, you, you, you understand something. So let's just look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, and remind me to bring, to bring you back now to those pimps, that uh, Joel Osteen pimp and his wife, Victoria, Madam, Madam Osteen, and Madam uh, Maya, Joyce Myers. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive shall remain, be, shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet him, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Okay. So thank you, Mr. Nidia. They've taken these two verses, and they've said this is going to happen before the tribulation. Now, I just read about 10 minutes ago, Jesus says he's going to do that, yes, but he's going to do it after the tribulation. So, I mean, you would think that anybody with a casual ability to understand the English language, it's not Greek, would say, wait, 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 where'd you get this business about? Who t- where does it say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, that is going to be before the tribulation. What does it say? To, what did Paul did Paul say that? Where does it say in those two verses I just read that this is going to happen before the tribulation? But I can sure enough show you with your hypocritical self that Jesus said he's going to do the same thing. He's going to come with a shout with the archangel, but it's going to happen after the tribulation. Mr. Engineer, take me to verse 29 of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. I mean, <laughs> you, you you know, I, I think part of the punishment of hell is going to be, you're going to ask yourself, why was I so stupid? <laughs> why was I so stubborn? Nowhere in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, did the apostle Paul say it's going to happen before the tribulation? He didn't say that. He just said it's going to happen. Well, Jesus said it's going to happen too, but Jesus made it clear. Mr. Engineer, that it's going to happen immediately after the tribulation. So you would have to ask yourself in hell, how could I have been so stupid to go into that church and let that preacher tell me there's a pre-tribulation? How could I have been so stupid to get all my friends to go see the movie Left Behind and then we'll have a prayer meeting outside the movie theater? How could I have been so stupid I might have well gone to see a porn show? I would have been better off sitting up in a porn house watching a porn movie than watching I had more chance of being saved in the grace and blessings of God sitting up in a porn house other than sitting up in a movie theater and then renting it and calling all my friends over. We're going to live stream it. I'd be better off than sitting up in a porn house than watching Left Behind. Where does it say, where does Paul say before the tribulation? Paul didn't say it, but the devil did, and the preachers picked it up and ran with it. But Jesus said immediately after the tribulation. (laughs) 
got to, you got to, you got to, <laughs> you got to figure out that people sitting up in hell, uh, and they're, they're there right now. <laughs> I don't think it hear me. They're there right now. Why don't earth, why don't I just open up the Bible? Why don't I let that Southern Baptist, why don't I let that John Hagee, why don't them Southern Baptist tell me that there's a pre-tribulation? Why don't I go pay money to see that movie? I mean, it would be something else, such as it was a mystery, you know, like we, we're not clear about, we can't, you know, we really, we'll just have to wait and see when we get to heaven. Uh, it ain't no mystery. It ain't no mystery. Jesus said after the tribulation. Now, out of this, thank you, Mr. India. So now, out of this Southern Baptist movement, 100 years ago, well, really, Oral Roberts was the first Southern Baptist that got on television and started yanking, <laughs> started yanking people out of wheelchairs and throwing away people's crutches. Kenneth Copeland said, that looked good to me. Kenneth Hagin, rather. Y'all remember him? The late Kenneth Hagin. <laughs> y'all know if y'all remember Oral Roberts. Some of y'all young. Yeah, Oral Roberts. That boy was yanking people out of, um, he was Southern Baptist, pre-trib, same, the works, the whole nine yards. He was yanking people out of the wheelchair. He was throwing people's crutches up, <laughs> up in the air. And uh, <laughs> and then Kim Hagen said, wait a minute, I got to try this. Then here comes Kenneth Copeland and a whole slew of them. Now you look out there, you got Joyce Meyer, you got Paula White. I mean, there's a whole kid, you got, what's that, Benny Hinn. <laughs> They're all Southern Baptists. They just went they just went charismatic. And then, of course, you had this movement in, in out in Los Angeles called Azusa Street, uh, where people started speaking in tongues out there. Oh. You know, the um there, there are a number of people now. This is another subject matter that I'll I'll touch on in a in a different way. But the charismatic movement, I mean the Pentecostal movement is charismatic Southern Baptist, if you will, but it's just mainly black people. The, the, the Japheth people don't necessarily refer to themselves. Now, some do, but not necessarily refer to themselves as Pentecostal. They like to use charism. They like to use that word as gifted. And uh, but, but black people like the Pentecostal because, you know, <laughs> there, was a, there was a clip we showed the other day where this guy was teaching people how to speak in tongues. <laughs> you go to an apostolic church or a Pentecostal church, you join the church. They said, now, do you speak in tongues? They said, well, no, I'm speaking in tongues. Well, let's go in the back room. We got to go in the back room. We're going to the back room. Well, we got, you got to speak in tongues. So they go in there, put you in the, <laughs> they put you in the, in the back room of the church. The preacher's still preaching. The organ's still going. By the way, what's all this business? While the preacher's preaching, the preacher prayer, somebody playing the organ. And the preacher says, yeah! And the organ will go, yeah! <laughs> what is that? Is this some sort of drama? What? 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 And, I mean, and everybody get up, start dancing and stinking up the place. Anyway, so they take you to the back room and say, I speak in tongues. What do you mean going to make me speak in tongues? Well, you got to speak in tongues. Well, we ain't going to bring you back out to the pastor to speak in tongues. So I'll sit there for about 15 minutes just to get out of that room. You'll, start, you'll say anything. Tongues, anything. <laughs> tongues, anything. Yes, that big black guy can catch you in that room back there. <laughs> And say, you, you just speak in tongues, man. He tells you back out. You'll start talking. <laughs> All this is church, right? But it ain't the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the point. 
So, I mean, I, I know I've been emphatic today, and I'm not apologizing. I found myself in a, a video, I, a, a clip I did the other day where I said, you know, if I said something to offend you to forgive me. Well, 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 well what was that all about? I mean, what I was trying to say is that uh, I understand many of you, you, you got your own, if you will, issues. But I'm not apologizing for what I've said because it's true. Uh we are living in some very times. And the reason why the tribulation is going to happen and Jesus prophesied is because the church will do more to serve Satan, more to spread Satan's lies than it will do to spread the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's just basically why the tribulation is going to happen in the first place. Because if the church did his job, then there'd be no need for, 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 the, for the Lord to wipe out humanity. He could close the gates of hell if the church did its job. But this is Satan's kingdom, and, and those churches are Satan's churches. I think the great woman said it best. In fact, I, I'm going to let you hear the testimony of, of a woman who heard me preach. This is going back a year or so ago. Or she had listened to me for some time, and she called in. Um, and so there are some people who are being converted. The problem is, is that you now know the truth, but you're going to get up and go to church on Sunday. And you're going to listen to that preacher tell you about pre-tribulation, that Jesus is going to take, even though Jesus himself, that preacher going to lie on Jesus. He's going to lie on the Bible. He's going to lie. That preacher going to lie. He's going to lie on Jesus. He's going to lie on the Bible. Jesus said after the tribulation, he's going to tell you pro. it's going to be pre-trib. Moses said the Sabbath day. Jesus kept the Sabbath day. And Paul preached in the churches at Ephesus and every place else that Paul established for 300 years, kept the Sabbath day. It wasn't until Constantine, 300 years later, that Constantine changes. But Constantine wasn't a saint, wasn't a prophet, and was not authorized of God to change God's day. And you're going to go back to that church on Sunday and contradict Jesus and contradict Moses and contradict the Bible by going to church on Sunday. Miss Engineer, let's just listen to this woman testify for just one talk, second, and I'll be right back. Message for uh, Dr. James Manning. Um, I wanted to tell you thank you from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate you praying over me. Um, that was a miracle to me. Um, I called in and I didn't expect to speak to you. And you prayed over me, and I didn't even have to ask. You're a wonderful man, and all I can say is God bless Atla. And um, I hope I said that correctly, Atla. And um, I truly believe you're in the right place at the right time. Um, God shows you to be in the right place at the right time. And um, I'm watching you on YouTube, and you're talking about uh, regulation and tribulation. And I agree with you 100%. Uh, we are in the tribulation. And some of the signs you see, which are a standout, is when you see false preachers and, you know, calling themselves prophets and they're not the false prophets. And there's uh, one list that I put together that concerns me is uh, I know how they attack you all the time with signs out there and call you names and pretty much spit on you and your church and they're trying to take you down. But nobody complains about the churches that are preaching blasphemy against uh, the Father God and the beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, the list is um, 
Dr. Melissa Kenneth Copeland, he actually said in one of his sermons that God is the big, the biggest failure in the Bible. That's blasphemy, and that's a lie. Uh, Sid Roth had a guest on his show. He has multiple guests. And uh, one of them actually talked about how Christ uh, told him that he could worship him in a bathroom stall at the airport. That's a lie, and that's blasphemy. And then you have Joe Osteen's wife, Victoria Osteen, Actually, in one of her sermons at church, she preached that uh, when you do good, don't do good uh, for God. Do good just for yourself. That's last week. That's a lie. Um, we have Preflo Dollar. Preflo Dollar said uh, in her sermon that we are gods, little G's, that we're gods. And he's trying to promote himself and the people to worship him uh, on God's level. And I believe that's what Satan did in God's. I have him removed from heaven. Then you have um, Jesse Tupontis. Jesse Tupontis actually preached in a sermon that Jesse Tupontis actually said that God has asked him for his opinion. Now, God is um, the Alpha and the Omega, the the wise one. He doesn't need. He does not need Jesse Tupontis. He does not need his opinion. That is a lie, and that is blasphemy. So we are in the last days because you're seeing it in the churches. Those are not churches. Those are empty buildings. This is symbolic. It's where Jesus was baptized. It's where John baptized. And so this is not a rebaptism. It's just a symbolic, if you will, act of what we're going to do, being in the water at the place where Jesus was baptized. And what I'd like to do is to baptize today that we would come to terms with the understanding of what God is calling for in righteousness. The, uh, he's not calling for prosperity. He, he isn't calling for culturalism. God is calling for righteousness. If we would commit ourselves to fulfill all righteousness, and God has called us to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, as John was persecuted for righteousness, and so Jesus... I got to tell you that I'll never forget this experience of actually um, stepping into water where Jesus were baptized and where John has baptized so many people. This is such a historic and a powerful, powerful sight. Just to touch the water uh, was so critical. And I'm glad that people got baptized to have that experience. Uh, it was a safe experience and a great experience. I'm not even going to change my clothes. I want to just stay in baptism mode until I get back to the hotel. So that's what I want to say. All right. This has been live from the Jordan River. <laughs> God bless you all. Peace. Righteousness. Boom, chuckalaka goes right there. Okay, so you've learned today that they openly contradict Jesus. They openly lie on Jesus. They openly use Jesus as a product, the way Bill Gates used Microsoft or software to make money. They do not use Jesus, who is the truth, but they actually lie. And because lies are appealing to the humanity Lies appeal to the depravity of humans, and so they go to these churches and they go to these stadiums, 
having their, if you will, their desires completed with lies rather than going someplace where they're going to hear the truth. But you heard the truth today. So the choice is yours. You can decide to go back there on Sunday morning or you can decide to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Me, I'm James David Manning. I'm the Lord's servant. My heart can sing when I pause to Stepping stone along the trail that's winding always upward. This troubled world is not my final home, but until then. Until the day Until 
one To preach righteousness and truth You're a sharecropper son Servant. I'm asking now is, is to give truth a chance. All I've ever told anybody is the truth. Now, just because you didn't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. And I'm asking people to give truth a chance. Just don't seem to stop When you're ready to move far beyond That same old dance All you gotta do is listen, yeah And give truth a chance Give truth, give truth a chance Everybody Come on and sing it. Give truth a chance. Give truth a chance. I'm here because I am a roaring lion crying out righteousness. All right, everybody, welcome to the uh, Manning Report. I am Manning, the quintessential American. And we're broadcasting today on the blue skies. There have been gray skies for the last couple of days, all of this week. But today we've got blue skies. I'm not sure exactly what that means. They may turn gray by the time this broadcast is over with. Also want to remind you that we're going to have Daniel Waters on again today. He should be chiming in. Uh, and we'll hear more about his uh, great, if you will, biography of uh, Barack Hussein, the lonely Mac Daddy Obama. There are a lot of things going on. Uh, I think, like, which thing, number one, I think probably in terms of my escalation, beyond the, uh, the Sabbath day war, which I'm going to get to in just a moment, that's priority. But it is re- reported now early this morning that Sidney Powell, the attorney, working along with a tribulation Trump to overthrow the legally or the illegal, depending on what your point of view is, election of uh, Joe Biden, uh, has now been caught up in the RICO uh, charges brought by Fonnie Willis there in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, that uh, she has pled guilty. And she's ready to start singing like a bird. I think she'd been given six years of probation or something of that nature. I'm not sure how they got that out of a misdemeanor charge. And that she's now con- said she'll con- she will act in concert and will testify to all future trials that involve Trump. And she was close up there. She was with Trump. She was in the war room. And in the major conversations, so this has got to be bad news for Trump. By the way, Trump was in court here in New York on yesterday. And while the witness was testifying, Trump started talking. The judge told him to shut up. <laughs> this is a different type of gag order. Trump was talking out loud in the courtroom while there was a witness on the stand, probably somebody testifying against him. But no, this is not. This can't be good news for Tribulation Trump, and it can't be good news for this Trump supporter, for the MAGA people, 
it appears that the whole thing is crumbling. The other item, of course, is that Jim Jordan uh, lost more votes yesterday than he did the day before. So he's made a decision now, I understand, that he is going to back the temporary powers given to Congressman McHenry, the guy who wears the bow tie and it looks like he came out of a crackerjack box. Uh, They're going to give him temporary powers and um, that he will be able to um, kind of run the the Congress until they can finally decide what the Republicans are going to do about. But Jim Jordan has not been able to reach the level that uh, even that Steve Scalise reached. And Kevin McCarthy, as you know, they bounced out of there. Now, this is, you know, I can tell you what I think. Come up close, let me talk to you. The whole matter here is that I see Trump's influence. Um, either he has pretty much he's done what he has been signed by the devil to do to uh, dissect American Constitution and and its its principles, and that his powers may be waning, or there could be a third wave where Trump then goes on trial, gets convicted. And as a result of that, uh, there is an uprising in America. And I, I don't have the prayer word on it. All I know is that he's a trigger of the tribulation. Or maybe now that we've got the war, the holy war, the Sabbath day war going on between Israel and Hamas, that the activities of Trump's, if you will, what he would refer to as his, his, his dictatorial authority or his his psychopath pathological leadership of America is no longer necessary because he was instrumental in getting this war launched as well. So there, there, there are a number of things that are potentially happening. But what I want to say is the fact that Trump promoted Jim Jordan. Uh, Jim Jordan, I mean, there are, there are a lot of scallywags all over the place. There are a lot of indecent people. Jim Jordan went to law school but never passed the bar. He took it several times, and he just couldn't reach the bar. I don't know how he got out of law school. Then he worked in the Ohio Athletic Division with this Dr. Nadir, who was who trained people in these great gymnastic things uh, to be world-class gymnastic. And this guy was having sexual intercourse, raping people like 90 going north. And Jim Jordan was his assistant. And Jordan said, I know anything about all that rape. And a lot of the people that got raped by this Dr. Nadir, whatever his name is, said that Jordan didn't know about it. There was an investigation, but somehow they, didn't, they never found out or decided to So, and Jim Jordan has never passed any bill, never suggested any bill. He would, he would have to be, I mean, for, for, the, for the Republicans to vote for that guy, and for people in Ohio to vote for him, like, what, what on earth is, I mean, what, there is no, no, no standards anymore? Plus he runs around without a jacket all the time. Um... So uh, they decided not to choose him as speaker, which is a good thing. But tr- Trump wanted him to be speaker. He's just Trump style. What's that, what's that horn blowing out? What's going on out there? You hear that horn blowing? Um, and we don't have a soundproof studio, so we're getting sounds from the street. Um, at any rate, let's take a break. Try to figure out what's going on that horn blowing out there. I'll be right back. And don't go anywhere, everybody. I'll be right back. In a, uh, I, and uh, I think that we want to hear Mr. Holnaker drop the new song as well. And we're going to listen to that. Let's go to break. Show them the, our breakfast program and the new uh, announcements that our breakfast program now has. 
Buen día. Bienvenido al programa de desayuno de Ala. Queremos darle la bienvenida e invitarlos a comer un desayuno caliente todas las mañanas de lunes a viernes de 7 y media a 8 y media. Abajo en nuestro salón de compañerismo. A las 8 y media terminamos el programa de desayuno y empezamos nuestras clases de primaria y secundaria. Si desean más información sobre nuestra escuela, por favor, pregúntele a cualquiera de nuestros maestros. Con mucho gusto le dan toda la información que usted necesita. Que tengan un lindo día y que Dios le bendiga. Peace be unto you and your family. Welcome to the Atla Children's Breakfast Program. We welcome parents and their children to partake in our breakfast program from 7.30 to 8.30 a.m. Monday through Friday downstairs in our fellowship hall. At 8.30, we end our breakfast program to run our elementary, middle, and high school. If you wish to inquire about our school, please speak to one of our staff. Have a blessed day, and thank you. This is symbolic. It's where Jesus... In an earlier segment today, I explained uh, in a relating way that most people don't have any idea of the life I have had to live uh, since the advent of Barack Hussein, the long-legged Mac Daddy Obama. Now, of my experiences, there have been people who have had more of these life-threatening experiences that I've had. And so they would certainly understand. But the average person, uh, that mean 99.99% of the of the world's population, has never lived under the kind of hatred that was leveled at me. And I want you to just pause for just a second. You don't have to believe me. You don't ever have to believe anything I say. You don't ever have to support anything I say. I'm just asking you to listen. That 
99% of most people on the planet have never been hated by as many people as hated me. And the reason for their hating me is because I told the truth about Barack Hussein, the long-legged Mac Daddy Obama. And as a result of that, all of the continent of Africa and every black face, every so-called black person, hated me because I told them that, oh, first of all, that Obama wasn't black. He wasn't the first black president in a real sense. Now, you can, you can do that constitutionally any way you want. I'm speaking as a man of God. The other thing I thought was critical, and there were two points I made. Number one was that Obama realized that the name Hussein was a non-starter, that it was volatile, that it invoked the if you will, the sentiments of Al-Qaeda or ISIS or Hamas or Islam or Islamic. Now, his name is Hussein. His name is Barack Hussein Obama. But he asked the world to forget that he was raised as Barack Hussein and to drop the name Hussein. And all the world said, okay, we'll do it. Which demonstrated a large part of the fact of how phony he was towards his own heritage. But the other thing I raised about what his mama was white. Now, I don't have anything against Japheth women having children. It's just that I thought that if we're going to have a beautiful historical understanding, a woke and a critical race theory understanding of the first black president, that his mama should be black. I mean, it, it, was, it was absurd. It was, it was the, the height of stupidity. Uh, it was the height of ignorance to say he's a black president, but his mama is white. Now, you know, listen, people intermarry interracially. That's okay. I'm good with that. I don't have a problem with that. It's just that there is, it comes a point in time, if you're going to make an emphatic point, that point should be emphatic all the way back to Jesus. His mama was white. What does that do for all the other black women who should have had that privilege, who should have been given that opportunity? It was like an affirmative action thing that Obama's going to be the first black president, but if his mama is black, that means his score would not be high enough for him to reach white people, and they would vote for him as well. So we had to do an affirmative action and get him a white mama so he can get in under the white guidelines, even though himself, you know, he ain't white. Uh, he ain't black, rather. It was, it was a, a scream. It's been 15 years later. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 in particular, was a canopy, was a covering, was a high wall, was a tower that protected me. And I taught it for 15 years. Thusly, all the hate that came my way, all the threats, 10 threats per day, every day for three years here on the telephone, here at the church, Proverbs chapter 3 protected me. And I want you to be able to know that. I want you to understand uh, what my life has been like um, and to be hated by as many people as hated me. It has assuaged quite a bit. In fact, many of the people that hated me are now reversing their hatred and now expressing their love and their admiration for the courage I had to tell them the truth when they just couldn't see it, when they were caught up in the race, if you will, of racial hatred, if you was, racial anxieties, if you must, and that I stood as a lone voice speaking truth to power. I want to be able to say that to you. I want you to be able to understand it clearly that uh, I am indeed the Lord's servant, 
you've never had to go through what I've gone through in terms of the hatred that has been leveled towards me. That having been said, I've got a person who is a scholar on the life and times of Barack Hussein, the long-legged Magdaddy Obama. His name is Daniel Waters, and he's online with me now. And we're going to pick up our conversation from where we left off on yesterday. Uh, Mr. Waters, are you there? Yes, I am, brother. Well, it's good to have you back online today. It was a good day that we had on yesterday. And I want to get started going back to where we were on yesterday. I think we left off with the the satanic uh, design when Obama accepted his nomination out in Colorado. He built a uh, Greek goddess satanic Pergama type of a backstage out of plaster and paint. You explained so eloquently on yesterday. Uh, if you could just bring people up to date again about where that that devil demon god was found in the in Turkey or the Ottoman Empire, and later transferred and became the shrine for for Adolf Hitler, could you kind of back us up and then we could take off to some other direction that you might want to go in today? Yes. Um- uh, the uh, the Germans uh, were shown by some local people in uh, the Turkish uh, uh, area of Pergamum, uh, Pergamos, which was a Greek term, but they, they named the town Bergama. Uh, sounds a little bit like Pergamum or Pergamon, which is German pronunciation. And they, uh, it turned out that the archaeologists and and others uh, from Germany, the biblical archaeologists, determined that, yes, this place, which was a courtyard with four walls with um, frescoes of uh, giants and uh, half-man, half-beast fighting against each other, inside was um, an edifice with a big wide staircase in the middle, kind of three arms, uh, one going from left to right and two coming forward um, with a, a Greek uh, architectural roof on it uh, on this hill called the Citadel. Uh, they, it was determined that, yes, this was the edifice that was mentioned in Revelation or Apocalypse <coughs> chapter 2, 12, and 13 by Jesus himself as he dictated letters to the uh, seven churches in Asia Minor, which had been the Greek territory but were now Turkish territory, they uh, made an agreement with the Ottoman Turks that they could disassemble this thing, uh, send it to East Eastern Berlin, uh, and rebuild it uh, on an island in the River Spree in Eastern Berlin and make a, a, a museum around it called the Pergamon Museum. Now, uh, uh Obama in 2008 went there and gave a speech uh, facing that thing, and uh, he had a crowd of 200,000 screaming Germans to his right and uh, screaming, yes, we can, yes, we can, yes, we can. Oh, can, I words, you we, uh, can I interrupt you? Now, I, 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 you're a better biographer of Obama. And I, when I use the term biographer, I don't mean it in a positive way, in a good way. That is to say, you know more about this man perhaps than anybody I've ever talked to. I think you know more about him than his mother knows about him. Uh, but biographer, that, that's, that, that's not a, a positive term. But 
did Obama ever have a crowd of 200,000 people other than at his inauguration here in America? I, I don't think so. I, I, I think this was reminiscent of the crowds that were at the giant replica of the throne of Satan that was built by Albert Speer, Adolf Hitler, in Nuremberg during the 30s. This was reminiscent of that, you see. So he's he's facing the throne of Satan as he's giving this speech about pause, how we're going can to... Can I pause you right there? I want people to be clear, because what you're saying is that Obama, when he when he traveled during his, during his campaign, he traveled to Germany and made this speech before 200,000 screaming Germans, yes, we can. But you're saying, and people may miss this, that he faced the throne of Satan that had been put there earlier, that had been referenced by Jesus in in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 13 and following. And it had been dug up and put there in Germany. Obama didn't face the crowd as a normal speaker would do. He didn't face the crowd. He turned and faced the throne of Satan. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? Yes, he was giving honor to his father, the devil, by doing that. And so, uh, to quickly uh, review, when he got his nomination, uh, he accepted it in uh, uh, the Invesco Field on, uh, uh, at the Denver Bronco Stadium, uh, the Mile High Stadium. Uh, and high places are important to the Satanists. You know, they, they want to be higher than anybody, just, you know, like the Muslims do. But um, Obama is not a, a, a Muslim. Uh, he has had some history with Islam, but uh, he is to uh, the devil what Jesus is to God the Father. You see, he's not a Satanist. He is the... The son uh, of Satan. Well, he's a Satan, alternative Messiah, the Antichrist, you know, an alternative Christ. So uh, he had this edifice built, and I remember the late-night comedians were chiding him and joking, are you the young Apollo? Well, actually, yes, he is, so to speak. Uh, he is the, the son of Zeus uh, or the devil. But he is going to uh, be in control of the world, and there's no stopping this. There's no human ability to stop this from happening. He cannot die because... He is slated, uh, he is scheduled to spend this coming seven years, which could start any day now, as we see what's developing in the Middle East with Israel and Hezbollah, possibly, and and Hamas. Uh, This is unraveling right now. Now, he is in control of of our government, not Joe Biden. Uh, The only thing Joe Biden knows is that, you know, pretty soon Susan Rice and Samantha Power are going to come and change his pull-ups and give him another ice cream cone and a coloring book that he can set and color in for the next hours until they interview him again. So the thing is that Obama is running the American government right now. He's got Democrats, and he's got the so-called president, and they, the devil was able to steal the 2020 election and... That was because uh, Donald Trump uh, suggested that, you know, this deal of the century, we propose that 70 to 80 percent of Judea and Samaria be given to the Arab. When you do that, that's such a big no-no that that's that's it for you. you Uh, Are you saying that that Trump suggested that 
that 80% of, of what land will be given to the Arabs? What, what land were you referring to? Yehuda or, or Judah okay. and Samaria, which is that part of Israel. So you're just talking about Judah in the area of the, of the tribe of Benjamin? And, and that, that, that uh, region, yeah, Judah, uh, and, uh, Judah uh, and Benjamin, or just Judah? Well, there were Benjamites there too, but I mean, it's mostly Judah or Yehuda. And Samaria, where the people who were kind of half Jewish, half Gentile, were living. And Jesus walked in those areas when he was on earth back then. And so you just don't give land away to somebody else that God gave to the Jews. You just don't do it. That's a major, major no-no. And although, you know, I think Trump, uh, he matured as he got older. He became a better man than he was when he was younger. Uh, he was the playboy of the Western world, face it. But the thing is, he a lot of people are just hoping that he'll become president again. I do not believe he can become president again because that thing that he proposed by Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, another guy named Greenblatt, that that's a that's a deal breaker, and that that's final right there. Okay, things are not going to get better in this world; they're on the way down. And well, the tribulation. I agree with you. I agree with you one hundred percent that you, you can't give a land that God gave to uh, to the seed of Abraham. That that land is deeded in the right. Bible. Uh, you can't even foreclose on it. That that land is deeded in the Bible. Uh, I, right. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. Uh, but it's interesting that you make mention now the Philistines and now with that war that's going on. Um, I, I think this thing is going to escalate beyond anybody's wildest imagination. And I think Trump played an integral part. And his son-in-law, Jared, who walked away with $2 billion from uh, Mohammed bin Salam uh, a couple yeah. of years or so ago, was, was a major part yeah. of that deal as well, that land sale deal. That's right. That's right. Now, see, Obama gave father, that is the devil, uh, or as they say in Hebrew, Hasatan, and then his father honored him by giving him the nomination, which he received in Denver, Colorado, at the stadium, Bronco Stadium, and then he honored his father again by making that facade uh, based on the, the throne of Zeus or the throne of Satan in Berlin, Germany. So his father then honored him again when he got the election. Now, God is control over the devil, but he has been showing the devil to do certain things because this is just the way that it was written that it would be. Now, Jesus himself said, uh, what is written is written, and the scripture cannot be broken. So what the scripture says will happen, and there's no way we can change things. People have got to be ready to leave this life and this world right now because things are about to bust loose. Uh, and if people are not saved, they're going to spend eternity in a lake of fire, just like Obama and Rahm Emanuel will, and the devil too. Although he's going to spend a thousand years in the abusos or the abyss and then be allowed to uh, go free and cause trouble again, I, I, and then I, this character... I, I, I agree oh, with you. It, uh, 
Uh, yeah. The devil, Obama spends a thousand years in the abyss. He's released shortly after, and the scripture cannot be changed. But I, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. But let me ask you to do something. I want for, for our audience, I know you, but for the audience, I want you to back up for just a moment uh, because you took us to the, to the Mile High Stadium where Obama presented himself as the son of Apollo or the son of Zeus or the second coming of Apollo yeah. and honored his father, the devil, at that that bizarre, if you will, uh, creation of an, of, a, of an acceptance speech area. But what I want you to take us back to Chicago. Can you do that for just a moment? Take us back to Chicago, yes. Obama's days in Chicago, uh, and his, his yeah. association with Jeremiah Wright. I think that I want to hear about that, and I think the audience wants to hear about that too. Okay. Yeah, uh, when Obama uh, came to the Chicago area in the late 80s, uh, he, he was uh, uh, spending time with Bill Ayers' parents out in a western suburb of Chicago called Glen Ellen. And a, uh, a mail carrier, Alan Halton, uh, he was uh, delivering mail, and Mary Ayers, uh, Bill Ayers, mother now bill ayers has ghost written a couple of books for obama uh you know the audacity of hope i think it was right. and uh, dreams from my father right now joel gilbert wrote a book called dreams from my real father which his real father is a guy named frank marshall davis uh, a black communist uh, newspaper editor uh who knew vernon jarrett and some of the other the Frank Marshall uh, David. Communist. Frank Marshall David hails from yeah. Chicago. He went out to Honolulu, but he hails from Chicago. Frank, right. Frank Marshall David, who's Obama's right. real father. Yeah. Okay. And other, you know, he was in Atlanta for a while. He he was an editor of various black communist newspapers. But the thing is that um, uh, Obama came out here. Now, uh, Alan Fulton, the mail carrier uh, that delivered mail to Alan uh, to uh, Bill Ayers' parents' house. Uh, Mary Ayers was chirping one day to the postman that uh, they were uh, financing a young foreign student to attend Harvard University. So one day the foreign student is by when Halton is delivering the mail, and he uh, strikes up a conversation with him by saying, knowing that he was going to Harvard, so what do you plan to do with your life? And he says, I'm going to be president of the United States. And then Halton kind of uh, chuckled a little bit and said, well, it's great to be in a country where anything's possible for anybody, not thinking that a foreign student is not allowed to become president because you got to be born in the United States to become president. So right. uh, Obama responded by getting right in his face and said, no, I said I'm going to be president of the United States very forcefully like devilishly, you know. So how could he have known that? He wasn't even involved in politics yet. Then he winds up going to uh, a law firm in Chicago, uh, Austin Sidley, I think it was, um, and who was working there but a young black woman by the name of uh, Michelle Robinson. And so uh, it was her job to show this young Harvard Law School grad uh, the way office where to file different papers and so on so she takes him to see her best friend forever 
uh, a woman by the name of Santita Jackson. Can I, can I, pause, can I, ask, you to, can I ask you to pause right there? Before we get into Michelle Robinson and her, that whole thing with that law, law firm, when Obama said to, to the mail carrier, as a foreign student graduate of Harvard University and having attended Harvard as a foreign student, uh, and um, at, at the time that he made that statement, he knew he was a foreign student. And also, if he did go to Harvard, which he did, he would have known that the constitutional law says and in, 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 in the Amendment 14 that you need to be natural born. Obama knew that. Is that right at that time? Oh, yeah. But he also, I'm sorry, uh, let me just say that. But he also, that he knew that that was not going to stop him, that the 14th Amendment to the Constitution was not going to stop him. I wonder if you can elaborate. I don't know if you have any de- any deeper insights, because that's one of the questions I was not able, uh, well, I was able to look at. But but go ahead. I'll, I'll listen to what you got to say. All right. Well, she, um, uh he knew, of course, that the law says that you have to be born in the United States to be president of the United States. But see, he was going to keep that from the public. He was not going to. He was going to try to make it out, out like that he was born in the United States, which he was not. Uh, he was born in a colony of England, uh, which was known back in 1961 as the British Protectorate of Kenya, and he was born in a hospital in Mombasa. Uh, on the east coast of the dark continent, the the continent where the descendants of Ham settled, or Ham, and there was a woman, a false prophetess. She was Catholic, uh, and and she called herself. Um, uh, remember, she was in the the um, all the the newspaper. Uh, what do you call it? The supermarket tabloids. Uh, um, in the Inquirer? Yeah. Uh, she was always making these uh, uh, predictions back then. She predicted the Kennedys' assassinations, and there was always something uh, flawed in her prognostications. Um, what was her name? Jane? Um, uh, I'm trying to remember her name. She was in all the, the uh, uh, papers. Well, she was... Uh, she wrote a book called The Child of the East, and she said she had gotten a, um, a, a premonition one morning. She had a vision, and it was uh, Nefertiti uh, offering a baby dressed in, you know, swaddled in rags to the world, and this baby had all-knowing eyes. Um, Jean Dixon. Oh, yeah, Jean Dixon was the lady's name. Yes, yes. Um, and... So now the East is a very big place. It's from the Middle East or the Near East all the way to the far and would that include? Are you using? You're breaking up just a little bit, and we we we, I I heard it earlier, but when we lose a word or two, because everybody's just hanging on to what you're saying, Uh, is there something you're doing that you could better establish our connect? Because you seem to be breaking up a bit. not that I know about. Can you hear me okay right now? I can hear you now. Uh, Mr. Engineer, check out, make sure our end is good as well. Uh, all right. You were talking about Gene right. Dixon, the premonition you had, the Nefertiti uh, golden child uh, vision. 
a child of the East. Right. 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 And there was a pharaoh seated next to Nefertiti. Um, I can't remember if it was Tutankhamun or one of the pharaohs. And um, so the thing is that uh, what what she said about this child generally came true with the appearance of Barack Obama. And not only that, but the people around Obama all through his life, including Bill Ayers and Jesse Jackson and his daughter, Sita, and all the rest, these helpful people is reminiscent of the the book and the movie Rosemary's Baby, where all these very helpful people seem to appear around the the lady who's going to give birth to this baby, uh, played by Mia Farrow in the in the film. Uh, her name was uh, Rosemary Woodhouse. All these, you know, a nosy little old lady from next door. She's always trying to be so helpful. Well, you had all these helpful people in Obama's life. Like, for instance, when he um, uh, and Michelle Robinson went over to Jesse Jackson's house and talked to him and his daughter Santita, her best friend forever, by the way, uh, and, and and she was the maid of honor at, at their wedding. Um, Jesse told him, he was a community organizer at the time, and he, you know, a Harvard law grad and everything, and and he wanted to go places in politics. And Jesse explained to him that in the black community, you have to be married uh, to to um, be successful in, right. in politics right. in the black community. Right. Older generations do, do not play that mess. You know, they don't play that mess at all. You know. So it doesn't hurt true. to they have don't. a couple of you gotta, you gotta, you know, Older generations of black people don't go for single people as politicians. They don't go for single people as preachers either. But go ahead. And especially gay people. Yeah. You understand? I do. Okay, so, uh, so he suggested that they get married on paper because he knew that he was gay, you know, and, and everybody did, but... The, you know, get married on paper, and you know Michelle get three slots in a flop, high class, for the rest of her life. You know she can pretend to be a wife or somebody. A woman like that is called a beard. Uh, called a what? Protect somebody's a what? A, a, woman uh, like a, a, beard, a beard. And the reason they call a woman who covers for a homosexual a beard is it's something masculine looking that you can hide behind. And so, uh, so she became his quote unquote wife. But um, those children are not their children. They they don't have the DNA, not only of Obama but her either. You know, uh, they they got those two girls as, as babies, but not as newborns. Uh, and so the thing is, they're playing like their husband and wife, and uh, they may protest that. You know, you know. Let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. Now, so Obama's running around calling himself a community organizer there in Chicago. He's connected with, yeah. uh, I think he, at that time he's connected with Jeremiah Wright, but he makes it over to Jesse Jackson's house. Is that right? Jesse Jackson's yeah. daughter entered, makes the introduction. And Jackson, Jesse Jackson says to Obama that you're not going to be get elected as a single person. So they hook him up with Michelle. They don't love each other. They, I don't know if they ever had sex, but they get hooked up. Right. But my question to you is this, right. is that Jesse wanted to be president too. You know, he ran in 1984. 
this was so this this had to be a, a few years after Jackson's run himself right. uh, to be president. But did Jackson yeah. did, now, did, was Jackson it's, approving it's, it's, of? A, I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, but Jesse never uh, dreamed that Obama would eclipse his popularity. That's and what I want to ask did, you. I, mean, I don't know if you remember. He said he wanted to cut his you-know-what's off. Yeah, I remember that. Him. We remember was, that, yeah. His testicles. Why would he so mad at him? Because uh, Obama was eclipsing his popularity, you see? So since then, you haven't heard too much about Jesse. Now... Al Sharpton, who got a hairdo like your grandmama, he goes to the White House. Grandmama. My grandmama used to wear a hat just like Al Sharpton. It was great like Al Sharpton's hat, too. I swear. That's the most accurate thing I've ever heard anybody say. But go, go ahead. Go ahead. Obama was president. Uh, Al Sharpton was there at the White House about 95 times. Jesse was never there. He should have never said that about, I want to cut your you know what's off, you know. But anyway, um, uh, J- Jesse might have a tough time if uh, he has to face Obama during the tribulation period, too. But um, the thing is, uh, Jesse Jackson, he he was a, a Mac daddy, too, wouldn't you say? I mean, he was a hustler. He hustled corporations. Listen, he, he said, I'll call you guys racist if you don't give me $10 million. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, he, no, he was and good talked, at that. He was good at that. He was very I, good. I, yeah. And and so uh, I talked to a young black woman in Chicago one time. I asked her what she thought about Jesse Jackson. She said, I think a lot more of them if you give up some of them Cadillacs. You know, <laughs> so what she was saying, he's a hustler, man. And so is Obama. But. Obama is, is a, a thousand times the hustler Jesse Jackson is. And he hustled the whole United States for eight years, and he's still hustling now because he's the president right now, not so dementia. <laughs> and so, so, so now, the thing so is that— Can I ask you one other uh, question? We only, I need to give you a time frame. We have like four minutes, three and a half minutes left. but we can, I'll get you back on Monday. Can I ask you, what happened to Jeremiah Wright? I mean, Jeremiah Wright founded the Trinity United Church of Christ, built it to 8,000 members, yeah. uh, you know, and he became a central figure, a negative figure, uh, by those opposing Obama with the no, 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 God, no, God don't bless America. But, but uh, right, Jeremiah right. Wright leaves an 8,000, I'm a pastor, you just don't walk away from an 8,000 member church that you founded. Yeah. But... What yeah, was it yeah. about his relationship with Obama that said, and the some power, the CIA, somebody said to him, "You got to leave this church. You can't stay here." What? What? what do you have any insight into that? Notwithstanding, we're trying to get to the murders of uh, uh, Bland and and uh, oh. Donald. Donald. Yeah, we'll get to that maybe on Monday. What? What, what yeah. was the reason well, why <laughs> Jeremiah Wright left that church? Obama don't need. Uh, of Jeremiah Wright in the spotlight. He doesn't need him being interviewed by everybody. He wants him that makes sense. out of sight, right? That makes sense. That makes sense. Because, uh, what's his name, uh, Wright, he was in the Marines. He was not a sissy homosexual. He was more of the macho, normal man kind of a homosexual. What do you mean by and that? What, what they mean? had... Okay, go ahead. That I, church, I, 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 I,
basically more of a homosexual nesting area, like a bunch of cockroaches. And they had something called the DLC, which they wanted people to think meant the Democrat uh, Leadership Council, but it didn't. It meant the down low club. And now in the black community, they don't say in the closet. They say you down low right. under Absolutely. the radar. Absolutely. You're a homosexual. Kind Absolutely. of seem like you're straight. So Jeremiah Wright would get all these young women. He said, I can get you a husband over at my church. I got plenty of them. Well, they just wanted these beards, these, these women ostensibly be their wives, but not really, you know. And 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 the, these gals would be thinking, we, we've been married over a year now, and he still ain't touched me. What, what What's wrong with me? There's nothing <laughs> wrong with them. <laughs> this was wrong with the guy. He don't like girls, you know. And so uh, Obama was one of those guys over there. But um, the thing was, when when this Larry Sinclair came out with the fact that he had had a homosexual relationship with Obama, um, Jeremiah Wright and uh, Obama put up this choir director who had come to the church when he was 12 years old telling the pastor that I'm interested in music. He said, oh, I can help you with that. Well, he turned him gay, and, he, he, and, and this guy, Donald Young, became the choir director. He was the guy up there directing the choir with Jerry Curls down to his shoulder. And so the thing was, they put Donald Young, the choir director, up to the task of making sure that this guy, Larry, Sin- Larry Sinclair, went away and fixed the problem. You know, And they were putting a lot of pressure on this Donald Young to get the problem fixed. And they're coaching him on what to say on the phone and stuff. And um, so they were you know, really uh, putting pressure on Young. And I think what happened was he snapped and he told him, you get off my case, or I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna out both of you, and and uh, just get out of my face, you know. Well, he was talking to these other two guys that were all homosexual, also homosexual, and uh, Larry Bland uh, and Nate Spencer, and they didn't think it was right. These guys putting such heavy pressure on on uh, uh, Young to fix the problem either, so they all wound up getting shot. Uh, Why do you, you know, think, and I and, only have one to sit in 40 seconds left. Why do you think, I mean, I met Larry Sinclair. I was at his press conference down in Washington at D.C. at the uh, National Press Club. Um, right. Why, why do you think uh, Larry survived and and Nate Spencer and, and uh, Bland and Young didn't? Well, his name out there too much because it, it, he was getting too well known and if something would have happened to him it would have uh, cast an even worse shadow on, on Obama. I guess you're right about that. I guess, yeah, 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 that makes a whole lot of sense. Listen, uh, listen, Daniel, it, uh, Mr. Waters, it's been, it's been uh, fascinating talking to you. Uh, can we chime in again on Monday uh, which uh, at the same time to pick up this conversation because I've got to go off the air now. Uh, and I just have a couple, sure, sure. clean up things that I need to do. Thanks for taking the time to um, sure. to talk with us. Uh, I really appreciate that. I, I think that people need to take from your main, a, a lot of things from your statements today, but they need to know that Obama is still running everything, that Joe Biden is not in charge of, of even what ice cream he chooses uh, to pick. Uh, and we're going to we need we need to talk about Kamala Harris as well, uh, uh, Mr. Waters, when we get an opportunity. But thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Right, right. And what I would like to say in closing is to your audience, if there are any who do not yet 
know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, pray to God that he would help you come to faith in Jesus now because we're about to drop off into the tribulation period and it's going to be more than horrible. What a, what a, way, what a way to close. Well, you're, you're a pastor too now, <laughs> but I thank you for that. Such a powerful, <laughs> put a powerful admonition to the people. They need to know uh, we are into a, a very difficult time. All right. Thank you so very much. Uh, I'll see you on this coming Monday. Everybody make sure you're logged on on next Monday for uh, our continuation with Daniel Waters and the, uh, the life and times of Barack Hussein, the long-legged Mac Daddy Obama. All right, I'm going to take a break. Listen, I want to show you a new promo that, that had been put together by uh, Sister Sabbath, Rachel LaFleur, uh, of our breakfast program. We've been running on an old breakfast program, but we got a new one, and I think you're going to like this one. I'm going to let you listen to this one, and I'll be right back. Go ahead, Mr. Engineer, run that for us, if you will, please. Buen día. Bienvenido al programa de desayuno de ALA. Queremos darle la bienvenida e invitarlos a comer un desayuno caliente todas las mañanas de lunes a viernes de 7 y media a 8 y media, abajo en nuestro salón de compañerismo. A las 8 y media terminamos el programa de desayuno y empezamos nuestras clases de primaria y secundaria. Si desean más información sobre nuestra escuela, por favor, pregúntele a cualquiera de nuestros maestros. Con mucho gusto le dan toda la información que usted necesita. Que tengan un lindo día y que Dios le bendiga. Peace be unto you and your family. Welcome to the Atla Children's Breakfast Program. We welcome parents and their children to partake in our breakfast program from 7.30 to 8.30 a.m., Monday through Friday, downstairs in our fellowship hall. At 8.30, we end our breakfast program to run our elementary, middle, and high school. If you wish to inquire about our school, please speak to one of our staff. Have a blessed day, and thank you. All right. Well, one of the reasons for showing that is to ask you to help to support our, our breakfast program, our feeding of the children, and as you can see, we have a large number of uh, Latinos that attend our breakfast program as well. And so our address to them is in both English and in Spanish. And the price and cost of food has skyrocketed. Um, and I'm sure you're noticing one of the things that we, one of the mainstays that we serve uh, are eggs or is eggs. And they are very expensive. Milk is very expensive. But you can give on Cash App. You can do that right now. Uh, for the breakfast program to feed the children. Now, you saw one young man there uh, with a hat on. Uh, we don't feed men. We The breakfast program is for mothers, for children and their mothers. However, from time to time, a man will come in, and he doesn't have a wife, and he brings his child. And uh, so we accommodate him, but it's not a pro- this is not a program for men. Um, we're of the aspect, I mean, life can, and times can get hard for anybody. There's no doubt about that, but we would not, we've had, we had a program feeding men, but I just want to clear that up because you saw at the edge of that video, a man, well, actually it wasn't a man, it was a, it wasn't an older man, it was a young man, a young boy sitting there, but we have a lot of babies and a lot of children. And in addition to uh, the breakfast program, we have, we were so blessed a year ago by Sister Charlene McMillan, Sister Charlene McMillan, I don't know if you're listening now. But we love you, Sister Charlene McMillan. We love you. We love you from Fairmount, North Carolina, who gave us over a million dollars worth of items, not money, but items. 
And we have been giving out clothing uh, to the people that come to the breakfast program. They go to another school. They don't go to our school. But we've been giving out dens of clothing, and we still have a lot of clothing to get out. You are, you have no idea, Sister Charlene, Charlene McMillan, the the people that you are blessing with the clothing we're giving out, and with the breakfast program that the others of you are giving to us to to be able to giving us the money to be able to to feed these children. I I said last night one of the reasons why the breakfast program is important to me is because I didn't feed my children the way I should have. Now I I gave money and I was in and out of the house. I wasn't as consistently as I all. I wasn't a father to them as I should have been uh, in the early years. Now, in the later years, I tried to make it up in every way possible. I just went overboard, but in those early years. and uh, But I, the breakfast program is near and dear to me because it's my restitution. It's my, uh, I'll feed, uh, I'll take all the money I have and all the money this church has, and I will feed children. And because uh, I didn't do it when I should have done it as a young man. Um, so I'm going to keep this breakfast program going. If I have to go rob, well, I ain't going to rob nothing. But if I, I, you get the idea. I, I told the investors as well, the investors, I took them to a whole lot of restaurants, all the fancy places. And I take our children, our school children, on trips around the world, all expenses paid for the most part. Because I do, didn't do it when I should have done it as a young man. But I now I'm on my feet. I have credentials and I have some means. I'm not, obviously, this is not a wealthy church. We, we, live from, we live from offering to offering. You ever heard about people living from paycheck to paycheck? We live from offering to offering. And by the way, let me thank all y'all that gave last night on the Wednesday night offering. Let me thank y'all so very much for doing that. Now we're going to need you to give again on Saturday. But I'm asking you to give something special for the breakfast program. We're getting more people coming every day. The food prices are still going up. I don't care what Joe Biden tells you about Bidenomics. The food prices are still rising. And it's just food is just very, very expensive. So give to the breakfast program. You can do it on Cash App. And we would greatly appreciate it. And you're going to feed babies and children. None of our money from the breakfast program goes to administrative costs. It all goes every dollar to buy milk and eggs and bread and grits and cereal and oatmeal and apples and oranges and muffins, the whole works, the whole nine yards. And, uh, but people are really very happy. They, they are so glad to get a meal that uh, in the morning and we give them a little something, put it in their pocket, take an apple, a cup of yogurt with you when you leave. And we're going to keep on doing that. And I'm going to ask you to keep on helping because I can't do this by myself. And let me finally thank all the staff workers, all the volunteers, people come in before going to their own job or come after they do their job. Like Elder Smith shows up after he works all night at the post office, shows up in the morning. I, I can't thank y'all enough. I think Sabah told me the other day I was trying to bribe her by saying, well, I'm going to take y'all out to a meal to, and treat y'all to a meal the way y'all treat everybody else to a meal. I said, Pastor Man, this is our church too. What do you think? We do this because we love the church too. So I said, all right, okay. I missed that. I have to go to pay a restaurant bill on that one. But thank you, everybody. All right, everybody. I think that, no, uh, uh, Minister Honecker dropped a new tune. And I like, to, I like this guitar strumming tune. I'm going to let you listen to it, all right? Check this out. Uh, and, uh, and then I'll see what I, well, I'll be right back. Mr. Engineer, drop that uh, whole naked joint.
right. The lyrics, the song, and the voice, and the music uh, is Minister James Honecker. But the visuals uh, are by, and the, if you will, production, uh, putting all that together is by Captain David Lewis. All right. All right. Uh, I'm going, Bob Jackson going to take us all the way to the top. I think Bob dropped this tune some time ago when everybody loves it. Everybody loves this one. So take us to the top and to everybody else out there, peace out. My heart can sing when I pause to remember a heartache here is but a stepping stone along the trail that's winding always upward this troubled world is not my final home but until then
seem true You're a sharecropper soon Back up, you preach on holy ground. 